0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, September twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. Looks like we survived the end of the world again. This is like the 13th time I've survived the end of the world. I'm becoming an expert on this. However, a little bit of a note. My secret is really no secret at all. Give we'll details here in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare And contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we should be buying and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is being spewed, good way to put it, uh, out there is not biblical. It's not what the Bible actually teaches. Uh, These people are just making stuff up, ripping Bible verses out of context, trying to manipulate the Word of God to make it look like that God's Word teaches this stuff when it really doesn't. And there are a lot of people out there who are literally being deceived and having their eyes taken off of Christ— and put on all kinds of other nonsensical bizarre things now those of you who follow me on social media <laughs> my apologies to you <laughs> um from time to time there are end of the world predictions and uh, one of the things that has become a tradition of mine is that uh, on social media on both facebook and twitter uh <laughs> We, uh, we we give updates from you know from around the world or to our citizens around the world. Uh, these would be Kingdom citizens, uh, alerting them as to the latest uh, as to what is going on on important days where there have been predictions. Now we've covered this already in the past here at Fighting for the Faith. In fact, I didn't even mention it. Last week, come to think of it, I wasn't even really thinking about it until I got off the air on Friday. I went, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, wait a second! I forgot to—I forgot about the uh, the end of the world." And uh, and so one of the services that uh, we offer. Is that as different time zones leave the target date? Remember, the target date this year was September twenty third, twenty seventeen. Uh, so, as your time zone eked out of September twenty third into the twenty fourth, we were giving updates on social media to let people know that they they have now crossed out of the the end of the world danger zone into uh, <laughs> into the clear and uh, and yes the whole world made it through september 23rd no raptures uh, occurred that we are aware of <laughs> and uh, what's really fascinating here is that uh, over the weekend and and today watching uh, the youtube prophets prophetesses and uh, prognosticators they were all trying to explain the real significance of what happened in fact Steve Cia Calanti Chia Cicl- Calanti I don't I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name. We'll just call him Steve C. I mean, he literally took the time to put together a YouTube video uh, where he starts off by explaining how all the skeptics were talking about how there really wasn't a star of Bethlehem and that nothing really happened and that somehow that proves parallel, you know, all the people like myself who are saying that Nothing happened on the twenty third of September um, that that we that we clearly missed it. No, the reality is is that all the people out there claiming that September twenty third was some big prophetic event and that it was the fulfillment of the sign of Revelation chapter twelve, they were the ones who were twisting God's word. In fact, you know, for a sign that was so amazing. Uh, that's so important. Nobody was able to see it. No, because the sign took place in broad daylight. And I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, stargazing is tough to do while the sun is out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just, <laughs> just saying that's just that's a reality. That's that's true. So for a sign that the whole world was supposed to be able to, you know, astound, be astounded by and wonder at. Nobody was able to see it. Nobody saw it. Not one single person on the planet was able to see it. And of course, I've already noted that this is again based upon of uh, you know a, a twisting of Revelation 12. So, what we'll do today, hour number one, and there's no theme today because hour one and hour number two just don't seem to have any connection. So, hour number one, we will do a roundup of what is being said. You know, now that the uh, the uh, September 23rders have uh, egg on their face, eschatological egg on their face, nothing happened. In fact. I I guarantee you by Christmas no one will be talking about that great sign in the in the heavens that happened on the 23rd. No one will be talking about it anymore. I mean it's it's it'll be ancient history and these people have got to save face because you know they staked their ministries on the importance of this sign. So we will be checking in with Steve C uh Scott Clark and others uh as we kind of give a roundup of, you know, what are people saying now that uh, we've made it through September 23rd? And by the way, at the beginning of the program, I did talk about the fact that you know, I, we went back and counted it up, and uh, this is the 13th uh, time I have survived the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, this end of the world stuff, I'm just telling you, You know, I am an expert now in surviving the end of the world, but um, before you want to buy my book on how to survive the end of the world, I will just give you my secret for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, here, are you ready? Here it is. Um, the for free advice on how to survive the end of the world. Step one: listen to somebody claim that the end of the world will happen on such and such a date. Mm-hmm. That's step one. Step two: ignore them. <laughs> yeah, no one knows the day or the hour, so. Kind of the way it works is is that if Christ said that no one knows the day or the hour, then when somebody predicts the end of the world or the rapture or some major eschatological event on such and such a date, um, then because they have given you a day and an hour when it's supposed to happen, that means it won't happen on that day. So so you just ignore that date and um and go about your normal business. You'll be fine. Uh, the next day we'll be here. You know that's kind of how that works. And so those are my three easy steps on how to survive the end of the world. Now, um, if you really want to understand the true way in which to survive the end of the world, understand this, that uh, that the end of the world will come either when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, that's a date we do not know when it will happen, or the end of the world will come for you because you will cease to be on this planet, On the day of your death, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is true. So um, I kind of think of both days, you know, both options as having kind of the same significance because your body will sit in the grave until Jesus returns and He will resurrect everybody from the grave. Excuse me, I just dropped my uh, captain's helm uh, fidget spinner. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, when the end of the world comes for you, if you want to be ready for it, this is real simple. Eternal life is promised for free as a gift to all who trust and believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Believe in him for the promises that he's truly given, the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, right standing with God. That's the idea. Repent of your wickedness. Believe in Jesus. He has died for you and risen for you and currently reigns for you in heaven and so uh, the call of the gospel goes out now. Today is the day of salvation. You don't you don't have tomorrow. Uh, none of us do. Um, if you are given tomorrow, that is a grace from God. But none of us has tomorrow. So today is the day of salvation. And the day of the forgiveness of sins in this salvation will come to a close either when you die or when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. It's just that simple. You have sinned and transgressed God's holy law. You have rebelled against him. You are guilty of breaking all of his commandments. You are an idolater. You are a coveter. You are a blasphemer. You are a murderer. You are a a thief. Uh, You are a coveter. And this is most certainly true of all of us, me included. So the way to survive the real end of the world is to trust in Christ. Repent. Believe that he has died for you that's the idea. So, um, you know, so and all that's, you know, hey, no extra charge, you know, how to survive the real end of the world. We just kind of threw that in there. So, uh, like I said, uh, today's episode, our number 1, we will be listening to all the people out there uh who have um, you know, who have well, eschatological egg on their face and have some as Lucy as uh, well not Lucy, it was uh, Lucy's husband Ricky. As Ricky would say, they have some splaining to do. So, we'll listen to their splaining. And uh, then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Potential Church. Yeah, you know, we check in with them from time to time. They're not really a church anymore. They are only a church in potentia. And we're going to check in with uh, Troy Grambling and his sermon titled, It's Not Fair. And uh, this is a sermon that I have previewed but have not listened to in its entirety. Um, but uh, let's just say that I have listened to a large chunk of it. And the large chunk that I listened to was completely devoid of any of God's words. So we're going to pay attention to how long it will actually take him to get to a biblical text. We will test to see if he will actually rightly handle the text in question that he gets to and uh, and see if, if um, <laughs> there's a... Anything that's redemptive, you know, biblically sound, any real doctrine going on there, uh, biblical doctrine in uh, that. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. You'll notice hour number one, hour number two, disconnected, therefore... Today's uh, episode does not technically have a unified theme, so you just need to know that. So uh, with that, let's get into the program proper. And since we're going to begin with uh, the eschatological egg-on-the-face splainin' that uh, has already begun, uh, let's start with this update music. Bloom, coming soon Listen to Thirty Eagle's tune Doom and gloom God is telling us the end is coming soon
2: Very soon You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon Doom and gloom Very soon Rapture comes at night or noon Very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and
3: groom. Bum, bum, bum,
0: bum, All right. So uh, that's our update music. Let's talk about September 23rd. And we're going to start off with, of all people, William Tapley himself. And what it is that uh, he said in regards to the great sign that appeared, well... (laughs) it didn't really appear (laughs) nobody could see it but uh here's william tapley uh from the video that he published on the 22nd so on friday last week uh, as the great sign was forming here we go
2: welcome to revelation unraveled i'm your host william tapley also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co prophet of these end times Right at this moment I am extremely excited because I know that overhead, in the sun and around the sun is forming the great sign of Revelation twelve.
0: No, it was it wasn't. (laughs) If it was a sign, don't you think it's important that people could see it? You know,
2: Nobody could see it because it was out in the daytime. And already the three planets are lined up. Mercury, Mars, and Venus. Yeah. Jupiter is at this moment being born through Virgo. (laughs) Avert your eyes. You don't want to see that. Oh, no. The only part of the great sign that has not come into position yet is the moon. Yeah. And that is very close. And all of you should get the program Stellarium so you can see this amazing.
0: (laughs) You mean you can't see this amazing sign unless you have the application Stellarium. Again, I just kind of asked the obvious question. How can this be a sign? How was it a sign since nobody can see it? Just to review, by the way, Revelation chapter 12, we'll apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, 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 but we're also going to pay attention to verb tenses here. So let me read uh, the first few verses, if you would, of Revelation 12, see if you can see what's going on here. Revelation 12, verse 1, a great sign appeared, past tense, in "'Heaven,' not in the heavens, "'a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, "'and on her head a crown of twelve stars. "'She was pregnant.' She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was cut up to heaven and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, that's the first paragraph of Revelation chapter 12, first six verses, and you're going to note here that along with the appearing of the virgin about to give birth and the stars and the moon and all that kind of stuff, is also supposed to be a red dragon. There was no red dragon uh, when you look at the Stellarium program. Yeah, none at all. And again, you're going to note here that the verb tense is very important in verse 1. A great sign appeared, past tense. It does not say a great sign will appear, future tense, in the heavens, Plural, not singular. So you, you kind of get the idea here. No, I'm sorry, but Revelation 12 was not prophesying a, a sign that was supposed to take place in the middle of the day in the stars on uh, in September 23rd, 2017. Again, if you have a sign and
2: nobody can see the sign, how is it a sign? <clears throat> Lineup of the constellations right now. And to me, I am thrilled... I wasn't planning to do this video, but I got so excited thinking about it. Now, I want to show you what the moon is like in uh, the sign right now. The Revelation 12 sign you see, the moon will be at her feet.
0: Yeah, so the moon will be at Virgo's feet. But you won't be able to see Virgo while Jupiter's being born. (laughs) One of the things I did over the weekend was um, play this music. Yeah, that's right. Now, unfortunately, nobody was actually singing that over the weekend because nobody could see the sign. I didn't see the sign. I opened up my eyes. I couldn't see the sign. It's
2: so demanding. Prophecy is so demanding. Yeah, you get the point.
0: Yeah, let's continue.
2: It's getting into position right now. In fact, in Israel, the 23rd will start in about five hours. Yeah. And it's interesting that tonight... Donald Trump is addressing a rally in Alabama in support of a man named Luther. Would you believe that? No way. In fact, I think the candidate's name is Luther Strange.
0: (laughs) Is he a prophecy guy on YouTube? Lutheran prophecy guy on YouTube. Maybe
2: I'm not making that up. Okay. And as you know... I've been saying all along that the result of this great sign is that Donald Trump will convert from Protestantism to Catholicism.
0: Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I... So, Donald Trump opened up his eyes and he saw the sign! And, you know, life is demanding, so he became a Catholic. Yeah, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I mean, well, here's the funny thing: is that you know William Tapley's uh, explanation as to the significance of the sign, it's probably equally as valid as anybody else's, you know, take on it. <laughs> but uh, okay, let's change it up just a little bit. We're going to check in with uh, the with Dana Ashley. Dana Ashley, she has a YouTube channel, and she's going to explain to us. What actually happens on September 23rd? <clears throat> yeah. William Tapley says this means that Donald Trump's going to convert to Catholicism. Let's see what Dana Ashley says.
4: Truth about what will happen on September 23rd? Sure, go ahead. Can you handle the truth?
0: Probably not. But try me anyway. I'll, 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 I'll do my best to hold still. I think you can. Okay. I, I'm glad you believe in me. We haven't even met. But that's really great that you think I can
4: in my own convoluted way, yeah. I've hopefully managed to portray a decent argument about how the real meaning of September 23rd and what will happen on that day yeah. is that the restrainer will be removed from heaven. The re-
0: Restrainer. The second Thessalonians. <clears throat> restrainer. Yeah, okay. So William Tapley says the sign will mean that, Ro- that Donald Trump will become a Roman Catholic. Dana Ashley says that the sign indicates that the restrainer will be removed from heaven.
4: Drainer that holds back the Antichrist yeah. is about to get thrown down to the earth. Right on. So hold on tight. Okay. Buckle up. It's a bit of a study, but if you really want to know the truth, here it
5: is. Children of
2: the
0: All right. So she's got a little bit of a musical interlude that goes on. Um, We'll just kind of skip forward a little bit here. So will she mention the red dragon as part of the sign? Because Stellarium does not have a red dragon standing by to catch Jupiter as he pops out of Virgo's birth canal. So, um, okay.
4: Hello, brothers and sisters, it is Miss Dana Ashley. Yeah, I'm very excited about this video. It is going to be giving you a perspective of September 23rd, 2017 that I don't think that you've heard yet. No, I'm trying to find someone else who shares the same interpretation of scripture, but I have yet to find it. Mm. Revelation is amazing. It is a great and incredible puzzle. One verse can be literal. It can be metaphorical. It can be both at the same time. My, my interpretation... A,
0: a literal metaphorical verse, got it. Okay. That's, that's not right. But.
4: Overall of Revelation 12 is that it is the great story of good and evil, is it not? Yes. That is the first overall meaning. But to get down into the scripture and to look at it a little more closely, the Revelation 12 points out several things that will be happening. Okay. I'm going to back these interpretations up with dreams and visions that are saying the same thing.
0: R- right. So, the dreams and visions that you're going to back it up with they say that that on september twenty third the restrainer was removed from heaven and thrown down to earth okay
4: uh, since the Word tells us that the Lord does not do anything without first revealing it to its prophets and in the end days i will pour my spirit upon all flesh this is acts 2 yeah
0: two verses out of context that actually isn't saying what you say it says
4: so not that it is the word of god you know having these dreams but it's certainly when hundreds of people have the same dream it is meaningful particularly when they're all believers and they're exactly the same dream
0: yeah hundreds i mean yeah at what point does it hit a critical mass where it's just got to be true yeah
4: for those of you who don't yet believe in the Bible as the Word of God, I would like to encourage you to consider this prediction anyway. That way, when it comes true, yeah. you can give the Word of God, a.k.a. the Bible, the credence that it deserves. And that may-
0: Right, yeah. Um, the whole restrainer thingy. Didn't see that happen on, over the weekend. Um, no, so...
4: Me excited to think about that for people who aren't yet believers because that's where i've been my whole life so i get it okay yeah by now most of you know that september 23rd 2017 appears that there will be a great sign in heaven that was predicted by john and rev
0: yeah no that that was a great sign that already appeared in heaven like almost two thousand years ago yeah mission
4: 12
0: On September 23rd,
6: 2017, the sun, moon, and stars will align to fulfill a 2,000-year-old prophecy.
0: It's not a 2,000-year-old prophecy. It was written in past tense. A sign appeared. Past tense.
6: Appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars.
0: She's wearing Leo as a hat.
6: And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And she brought... And Jupiter then popped out. ...forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron.
0: Yeah, you skipped
6: over the whole verses about the dragon. how was caught up unto God and to his throne. The facts are the facts. This alignment is set for September 23rd, 2017. Some have run the numbers and the odds of this are in the trillions...
4: This part we've heard about, yes? Now, you know the rarity of the sign. Many of you also know that the woman being in labor, as it is described in Revelation 12, was reflected as the king planet Jupiter was in her womb area for the maximum incubation period of about nine and a half months. That made this all the more rare and incredible.
0: Right, yeah.
4: Okay. Now many are interpreting this man child that the woman gives birth to to represent the church. Yeah. And therefore when it says her child was caught up into God and to his throne, that is the church being raptured. But folks, this makes no sense and I will show you why.
0: Okay, so so it's not going to be the rapture then. But it's already taken place and nobody got raptured. We covered it on the weekend, you know, on social media, yeah.
4: First this is a really important point I want to mention. Okay. In the short time I've been a believer, I've noticed a very common tendency of people to isolate scriptures. That is to take single line or two of scripture yep. out of context.
0: Yep, that's right. That's one of the things we talk about here at Fighting for the Faith. We have Three rules for sound biblical exegesis be context, context, and you got it, context
4: of the passage to prove their point while ignoring the rest of the passage or yeah. any other passages that may even contradict that point that they're trying so desperately to prove right this is extremely dangerous
0: i agree yes you got a good point here
4: if your interpretation is ever contradicted with any other scripture yeah you have to throw out the whole thing the whole you're
0: thing. right dana you're absolutely right Which kind of begs the question, where would you come up with the idea that the Revelation 12 sign somehow relates to the removing of the restrainer?
4: Yeah, the whole interpretation, and try again. You have to get an interpretation that isn't contradicted anywhere else in the Bible. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. So that's what we'll be doing with Revelation 12 today.
0: And did you take hermeneutics already?
4: Why do I say that the man child that was born to her Mm -hmm. is not the church? Well.
0: Yeah, because it's a picture of Christ.
4: Here's what I think. (laughs) And she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Yeah. In some versions, it says she is to give birth to a son, a male child who will rule the world with an iron scepter.
0: Yeah. Did you catch the part about the dragon? How come the dragon wasn't there?
4: Now, a man who will rule. It says he, not she. Yeah. yeah. It says a man, he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now, that makes me very interested in the fact that in Revelation 19, Uh under the section called the coming of christ Uh and i saw heaven opened a white horse and he sat upon it called faithful and true skipping down his eyes are a flame of fire and upon his head are many diadems and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself and he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood yeah and his name is called the word of god Uh i think we know by now this is jesus you betcha it is the coming of christ after all in Revelation 19, 14, and the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean were following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it, he may smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron.
0: Bingo. Very good. So Dana here <laughs> on the one hand, she has correctly identified that the child born is Christ Uh huh, that's right, it is. And, uh, but she's going to end up later in the video explaining how (sighs) that the the real point of the sign is that the restrainer has been removed. Let's fast forward to that part.
4: Other theme that we're seeing here that I'm never hearing being discussed in Mm -hmm. any of the 12, Revelation 12 interpretations that you see on youtube you're always hearing about the rapture people talking about the rapture they're hinting about the rapture they're getting people excited about the rapture
0: yeah that's right we covered that aspect of this particular story and noted that they were creating a lot of rapture expectations without actually saying that the rapture was going to happen so i'm glad you pointed that out dana so what does it really mean
4: but folks it says very clearly all over the bible that the antichrist must rise first Do you remember when Paul in 2 Thessalonians goes into great detail about what must happen before the Lord Jesus can come back to earth?
0: Yep, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.
4: He talks very specifically about the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, that Daniel called the son of perdition. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for the day will not come, the day of the Lord, will not come. Until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Mm -hmm. Don't you remember when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness, that is evil that we see in the world, yes. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but... The one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Uh
0: Uh-huh. So a little thing just came up on the screen that said, September 23rd, 2017, the restrainer will be removed.
4: Then the lawless nun will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow. Yes, we know the ending. It's a good ending. But let's talk about this whole thing about the
7: Restrainer. In Sam- yeah. Thessalonians 2, Paul talks about this enigmatic restrainer. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed.
3: And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Michael
4: is the restrainer. Okay. Um
0: <laughs> Okay. So, um let's just go with the hypothesis that Michael is the restrainer. This still falls woefully short because nobody saw the sign on the 23rd. And um <laughs> It was a sign that appeared past tense when John saw it thousands of years ago. So, okay, so I got to give Dana at least some props. She's really trying to understand this biblically, um, but the the problem is is that the <laughs> she's granted the premise that Revelation twelve is a prophecy regarding a future sign when it is not, and that is the problem. Alright, we're up on our f- first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to be checking in with more regarding the September 23rd 2017 sign of Revelation 12 that nobody saw. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false
5: doctrine now. <laughs> Bird Cage Theatre presents Church Day Select.
0: All right, I got a large, non fat decaf mocha with. No whipped cream, two pumps of chocolate, and diet soy milk for Tiffany.
8: Oh, actually, it's just Tiff.
0: Oh, I'm uh,
5: sorry. Uh, tiff, then.
8: Like, thank you so much.
5: I've never made a drink quite like this before. I can't even imagine what you call it.
8: My friends call it, like, the why bother, but it sure doesn't stop me from loving it.
9: <laughs> <laughs>
8: nice talking with you. Adios so sorry about that. Anyway, where was I? All right, so you won't believe what happened to me on Sunday. So like, you know how I've been trying to learn more about Jesus and God and stuff? Well, ever since I got into it, my friend Brittany has been begging me to go to her church. It's that big building on Michigan Street. It's got like a stage and a praise band. I mean, it's got like a ton of people, so the pastor must be pretty cool, right? Well, the sermon starts. I've got my Bible, my notebook, my pocket catechism, and my flower pen. All ready to hear about God. And what does he talk about? A bird. This guy went on some 20-minute bunny trail about a blue bird that landed on his windowsill. And I'm just sitting there like, what about Jesus? I mean, they had just had a laser light show about how much they loved him. Uh, Hold that thought. I have to use the little girl's room. I'll be back in a sec.
5: So Jeff said, "Rectum, rectum! You practically killed him!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am so sorry. I've accidentally dumped my white bother all over you. Your outfit is totally ruined. Here, let me use these only slightly absorbent napkins to wipe it up for you. All right, use it bit there. And, uh, there. That seems to have gotten most, most of it. Here's my business card if the stains don't come out. I happen to own and run a dry cleaners just down the road. Anyway, gotta run. Oh, I am so sorry! I've accidentally dumped my 2nd wife, father all over you! Why does this keep happening? Please take my card!
8: As I was saying, I don't even think these people realize what Jesus did. Let me explain this to you. So, first of all, I'm like a sinner, and I need forgiveness, right? So God was like, I'm going to send my son. So Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and everybody's sins were forgiven. And we were all like, cool. So when I go to church, I want to hear about Jesus. But for some reason, these people don't even talk about Jesus. You know, if you think about it, the church is like totally God's house. So Jesus invited all of us to his forgiveness party, and we all shut up and said that we loved him, and then we completely ignore him. That is so rude. Not only is it rude to God, but it's a total ripoff for me. I want to hear about how my sins are forgiven. But instead, these people are like, let me tell you my life story. Um, excuse you? You think that your birds are more important than God? That is so rude. Honey, what happened to your shirt?
5: Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
7: Bum, 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 bum.
0: All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the rapture did not happen on September 23rd, because you're still here. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. Yes, it is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. Yes, they are yellow, and yes, they are friendly and one of them says join our crew the other says donate when you join our crew you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose that's right lowest rank is powder monkey at $9.95 a month after that gunner's mate at 24.95 a month from there master gunner at 49.95 a month and then quartermaster at 99.95 a month this is a great way to support us of course if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute you could do so by clicking on the donate button Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we are still under the doom and gloom coming soon general mayhem and eschatological nonsense banner and we're going to head over to the uh, discover ministries uh, web- website where steve sia kalanti sia chicolanti i don't even know how to pronounce this fellow's name uh, holds court and uh, as i noted at the beginning of the program he actually put out a video that um that basically tried to justify that something happened on September 23rd and this was just published today by the way and um by <laughs> saying that something you know, that something did happen on the 2030 he was going back in time saying that well look they there were there were skeptics at the time that the star appeared uh, the star of bethlehem appeared and uh, and so you know because people were saying no nah, didn't nothing happened nothing happened that means that somehow that somehow this sign really something did happen right okay if if you're confused so am i and it's probably my fault But here's
9: Steve C. Here we go. Revelation chapter 12, the last book of the Bible, said this. Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed... Yeah, appeared, past tense. ...sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Yeah. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. There are rumors that this Revelation 12 sign was fulfilled... On the 23rd of September 2017.
0: They're just rumors. Nothing happened on September 23rd,
9: 2017. Nothing. How was it fulfilled? By Jupiter spending nine and a half months in the womb of Virgo. <laughs>
10: <laughs> just gonna have
9: to. <sighs> okay. Okay. And Mercury, Mars, and Venus aligning with the nine stars of the constellation Leo to form a 12-star crown on Virgo's head. The Vir- no, wouldn't that
0: be nine stars, three planets? Yeah, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. What about the dragon? Nobody talks about that. That's part of this big Revelation 12 sign. Where was the dragon again?
9: Jupiter has been in retrograde motion till Jupiter was birthed on the 23rd. Of September 2017. Ex- Happy birthday to you, Jupiter. <laughs> Happy birthday,
0: dear Jupiter.
9: The womb of Virgo. Right, yeah. I want to give you now the proof that nothing has happened. Uh huh. Three
0: of the. T- and the, the note at the top of his screen says, This is a parody. He's actually saying something did happen. But see, he already, earlier in his video, said that nothing happened regarding the Star of Bethlehem. And so he's now giving proof that nothing happened.
9: Worst hurricanes in human history occurred around the time of the Revelation 12 sign. Three of the worst hurricanes ever. But not on the nose. No. The hurricanes were named Harvey, Irma, and Mary, spelling an acronym, HIM. Really? Look at that. Harvey Irma, it spells him, 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 him. It's, it's the sign, it's the sign. This, of course, is purely coincidental and can be scientifically explained away.
0: In fa- it's called the logical fallacy of post hoc ergo propter cock, or otherwise, my wife would call post hoc ergo poppycock. There was a good
9: political explanation. Yeah. It's really all due to climate change. If everybody would just pay more money to the government, they will change the weather for us. See, uh,
0: hurricanes Irma, Harvey, and Maria, they all prove that something did happen on September
9: 23rd. I want to confirm that nothing has happened on the 23rd of September.
0: That's right, because nothing actually did happen.
9: There have been six major earthquakes. In Mexico, an 8.2, which yeah. is a record-breaking earthquake, the strongest earthquake that has ever occurred in the history of Mexico. Yeah. Of course, it did not happen on the 23rd of September. So we. No, did.
0: it, it didn't. So why are you mentioning it as if it somehow is related?
9: Ignore that right now. It was followed by a 7.1, followed by Vanuatu, 6.4 magnitude, Japan, 6.1, New Zealand, 6.1. California happened to have one on the 23rd of september but it's only 5.8
0: which is nothing in california building 5.8 just kind of like rattles the dishes so you can also dismiss that as well right yeah so notice he's now he's grasping at straws will go to the stock market neck next and maybe try to
9: pull in the shmita and then we have news of nuclear testing a hydrogen bomb was tested by the North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. Then Donald Trump made his maiden speech to the entire world at the UN the very week of the 23rd of September 2017. The week now, the week of the the, the, the great
0: sign appearing in heaven. Oh, man, this guy is grasping at
9: straws. Pretty close to the sign of Virgo, but not on the same date. And after that, Kim Jong Un announced he's going to test another hydrogen bomb. Of course, this has no relationship to the sign that people are spreading rumors about. And finally, we have news that Iran has improved their missile technology and have conducted yet another test on the same date as the 23rd of September. But please ignore it. It has nothing to do with the sign. I want to say to you again, if you are uh, an intellectual If you're smart, you have to accept nothing has happened since the sign of Revelation 12.
0: Yeah, Revelation 12 was not a prophecy about a future sign to appear.
9: It was the description of a sign that appeared, past tense. Nothing has happened. The world hasn't ended. So you can go on with business as usual. You don't need to pay attention to signs.
0: Oh, no. I mean, so... Apparently he's made his point via parody. Yeah, well that'll prove it to you. You know something—that that means something really did happen. No, nothing happened.
9: Second Peter chapter three verse three. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days scoffers will come. Mocking the truth and following their
0: yeah, um, scoffing at a false sign where nothing happened is not what Peter was referring to there.
9: Desires they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again from be from before the times of our ancestors. Everything has remained the same since the world was first created.
0: Yeah, you are misapplying Second Peter chapter three.
9: Jude says. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. Right, yeah, so mocking
0: a false sign where nothing happened is not what Jude was talking about either.
9: Who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are central persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. They may be intellectual, but they don't have the spirit. What is supposed to come next? Since we don't believe in signs, we will ignore all of these four judgments which have been predicted by prophets of God. According to the predictions by a Lynn Leah's interviewee named Mark, on the 7th of... What? Lynn Leah's interviewee? named Mark. What are you talking about? He's not in the Bible. September 2017, according to Emmett O'Regan in the book Unveiling the Apocalypse, according to Billy Nelson, who reported this on the 19th of October, 2014, and according to John Fenn, all these seem to agree that there are four judgments coming upon America, and I would say the whole world. One, they claim, two hurricanes would hit the USA back to back. Of course, Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma are just climate change symptoms. They have nothing to do with the science. It's just a coincidence that two hurricanes, the most devastating, the costliest hurricane in the history of America, just so happened between the American solar eclipse and the Revelation 12 eclipse it is Oh, see,
0: there it is. Yeah, the fact that Irma and Harvey happened between the solar eclipse and the Revelation 12 sign, which nobody saw, that proves, man, something happened here. So- something totally happened, yeah.
9: Coincidence. Next, two earthquakes would hit both coasts of the United States. One of them predicted a 9.1 magnitude earthquake, followed by an incredible magnitude Uh and uh, that hasn't happened yeah nope that hasn't not all of them specify the magnitude but it seems that all of them agree that the scriptures say a great earthquake will follow God will shake first the heavens and the earth he will stir up the seas and then dry land according to Haggai chapter 2. The third judgment will be a massive tidal wave that will hit the east coast and drive water all the way into the mountains.
0: All right, so two earthquakes and a tidal wave coming,
9: apparently. I don't know which mountains, but there are... Appal- you know,
0: because, because Revelation 12, man,
9: yeah. Mountains. Notice
0: neither of these prophecies, none of them actually appear in Scripture. Uh,
9: on the east coast, and that would be an absolutely catastrophic type of event. What would trigger that? According to Emmett O'Regan, he says that the volcano in the Canary Islands would either fall into the sea or or erupt, and then it would cause a surge in the Atlantic that would hit the East Coast.
0: All right, so Canary Islands, you're gone. My apologies to you. It was nice knowing you.
9: Quote, the fourth judgment is so terrible that he would not tell me what it was going
0: to be. All right. So basically I think we can say that Steve C has doubled down. Yep. He's doubled down. And um basically it not it not only does he say something happen through his parody of nothing happening, he's saying that what's coming next, um we've already seen two hurricanes hit the US back to back. We need two earthquakes now, 9.1, 12.2, a tidal wave, and something so terrible, no, nobody, none of the prophets could even describe it. Mm-hmm. Yet, nothing happened. And I'm not scoffing at Scripture at all. I am pointing out the obvious. Revelation 12 was not a prophecy of a forthcoming signs in the heaven, That nobody could see. Nope, it was a description of a sign that the apostle John saw, past tense, at right before he wrote the book of Revelation. Now let's check in with the Last Trumpet Blast YouTube channel and uh, see what uh, they have to say regarding the Revelation 12 sign on September 23rd. Here we go. Yeah, they start all of their videos off with a um, so far.
3: Um, We continue. But um, I want to start before I really start. I want to start with I have to say something about today because today is uh, what uh, Hollywood would call the day after.
0: (laughs) We survived the day after the day after nothing.
3: Uh, The 24th of September. And since uh, about a month ago we said so much about the 23rd of September. We have to say something also about this day. Um, Yesterday was the last of the two days of Rosh Hashanah. Mm -hmm. And um, as every year actually we are a bit more excited on that feast... Because uh, it points in many ways uh, to uh, the home-taking, Jesus calling us home. And so, if anything, it should remind us of that and and focus us more on that and make us excited. Uh, And secondly, uh, all but one uh, event, a major event in Jesus' life, happened on a feast And the only thing that was not on a feast was his ascension. But all the other things, major uh, events, let me call it that, that happened on feast days. So it is logic, I would say, to be more alert and more excited on feast days because they are prophetic in, in, in nature. And that has been proven throughout history and it's not that they are fulfilled once but multiple times throughout history, even to our um, recent history. Um, and so uh in that light uh, um we also spoke about uh September twenty three, not as September twenty-three but as T three as Rosh Hashanah. Uh this year was a special in the sense that um it also coincided with the fall equinox. Which is, doesn't happen. Uh,
0: Do you feel like you're learning anything from scripture here? He's sitting there going, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Right. Yeah, this guy is totally off script as far as what the Bible
3: teaches. So often. And there was this much uh, spoken about Revelation 12 sign. And that, especially that last uh, has been hyped up uh, a lot uh, in, um, on the Internet because many, many Christians were pretty sure that the rapture would happen on September 23. At
0: least he's honest.
3: And um, didn't happen. If you go back to the video uh, that we made about September 23, you will see that in the end I say the rapture could happen. September twenty-three, but it doesn't have to be. Um, It can mean many things, and uh, I think we will also discover uh, the meaning of this uh, this day. Yesterday, Uh, we're we're still trying
0: to discover the real meaning of September twenty-third. Still working on it. We got crack, uh, prophetic guys with slide rules working on it right now.
3: I also said at the end of that video, and I want to repeat this now, that um, if anything, it should have called our attention. There were many uh, so-called uh, rev- um, September 23 prophecies on the on the internet. All of a sudden, people had visions and dreams and all kinds of things, and found uh, all kinds of links in uh, in scripture, in movies, in whatever about September 23. So. Um, They were expecting things, and um, biblically, there is no such thing as a September 23 prophecy. So we have to always match everything with Scripture, and if it's not there, then we need not to pay too much attention to it. Right, yeah. So you'll notice that uh,
0: he's soft-pedaling backwards. Yes, soft-pedaling backwards. So uh, let's check in with uh, Scott Clark, Scotty Clark. I mean, because, I mean, this is one of the guys who set a set a lot of expectation uh, but didn't want to commit to it. But yeah, he was still pretty sure that this is an important thing. Uh, this was actually published on September 23rd. The name of the video, by the way, is September 24th, A More Perfect Alignment for Revelation 12. Mm-hmm.
11: Listen. Scotty here. Today is... A long anticipated day, at least for me, six and a half years looking at this date, the 23rd. Um, we are here. I was not expecting to make a video today, but uh, some information, I was reminded of some information today that was actually sort of discovered or thought about and written about back in August, August uh, 2nd,
1: mm-hmm.
11: you know, close to almost a couple of months ago. Um, a friend of mine, Brad, uh, posted this on his website. Uh, rev twelve daily at blogspot dot com and it says september twenty fourth a more perfect alignment this is back in august this mm-hmm. is at the, the beginning of august yeah. so this has nothing to do with you know just trying to make something up because something didn 't happen or whatever this is this is just uh, my friends and i we just we 've been throwing out ideas and possibilities because yeah. 2017 lines up with so much 1897 1917 1947 1967 1970. I mean, it's just really difficult to throw out these timelines that nobody has any control over. It's just history, and and Rabbi Judah ben Samuel's um, uh, prophecy, which uh, is seems to be have been perfectly. Uh, making this the year zero as well there's just so much that has to do with uh yeah so much
0: i mean if you if you if you're not familiar with any of these resources i know they're not found in the bible but they're really important yeah because you know people with big names you know said important stuff in those things yeah
11: Seventeen plus the world is in a state of complete disorder. Plus, we had um, the lunar, the the great American eclipse uh, in August, and then uh, a, a swath of hurricanes and earthquakes and yeah. natural uh, disasters just started to happen immediately after that. I mean, this stuff is uncanny you you can't you can't dismiss what has happened so far. We are N-
0: nothing has happened.
11: Still in a very high watch window. We're still in a high watch window of today, as I make uh, high watch, high, high watch. Nothing happened in this anyway. Um, but I just thought I would jump on here because, regardless, um, I I just really think I owe something to you uh, for for being so kind to me over the days, the weeks, the months, and the years. And so, if I have some information. Um, I just wanted to pass this on to you because I'm looking at this seriously. The deal is, is that it, this might the 24th might be a, a more perfect alignment.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. See, as the 23rd is winding down, he's readjusting. Maybe the 24th is a more perfect alignment.
11: Um, if we look at Brad's post here, he says the picture above is the view from Jerusalem, and the-
0: by the way, today is the 25th of September. Nothing happened on the 24th either, Scotty.
11: ...of the 24th. This was first shown on unsealed.org. That, that's some other friends of ours, uh, Gary, and Br- and Gary and Jeff, are over there. This was first shown on unsealed.org in a post which you can see here. Notice the crown of 12 stars. Every, everything is still in line. Notice the familiar position. No, nine stars, three planets. The sun and Jupiter. All the elements of revelation. The Revelation Twelve signs are still in place. Essentially, just- no. The dragon is missing. They were the day earlier on the 23rd. The only element that notice that has noticeably moved is the moon. It has moved away from her feet. But now when it rises above the horizon, it is truly under the feet of the woman, just as described in Revelation twelve one. and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. And, you know, the rest of that, if you've been following this, you see. I've been looking at the 23rd for six and a half years, but I had the moon under her feet in a lying down position based on the ecliptic line. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a problem with saying I've been wrong for six and a half years. Matter of fact.
0: Right. So yeah, see, I mean, that's a, that's an easy mistake to make. I mean, under her feet using the ecliptic line, but you know, the 24th would clear that right up.
11: In the last year, you know how much I've changed a lot of my thinking. I am just, all I want is the truth. I I don't care about being right on this thing or that thing. I just I just want to find the truth. I'm
0: Remember you did create an expectation for the rapture without committing to it.
11: to throw anything out to to get there. So, um the fact is is that if the woman is in a standing position, yeah. a crown would be on her head if she's standing, not lying down necessarily, which is there. The moon is under her feet in this position. So,
0: yeah, he, he is looking at Stellarium.
11: So Brad continues to write again on the 23rd. The moon is under her, her feet from our perspective horizontally. But it happens when she's laying down on her side, as we see in most of the images.
0: Yeah, but see, when women give birth, I mean, Virgo giving birth to Jupiter. I mean, you you're expecting her to give birth while standing up. I mean, that sounds very uncomfortable
11: for Virgo. The alignment, but. As shown above, she is now standing, from our perspective, with the moon under the bottoms of her feet. Yeah. This is uh, more literal as we generally think of something being under our feet when we're in a vertical position. Septem-
0: right. So, yeah. I mean, you got that ecliptic line thingy that's got – so you need Virgo to stand up to give birth because the moon's got to be – yeah, right, Yeah.
11: September 23rd alignment surely fits, but this one seems like it could be even more literal. Now, I'm going to link this underneath my video so you can continue to read Uh Brad's post. I'm not going to read this whole thing to you. Um, But I I also want to show you – this is unsealed.org. These are some of my friends. I love them dearly. They are brilliant writers and researchers, Gary and Jeff and Brad I'm- yeah, if they think
0: that the Revelation 12 sign was fulfilled on either September 23rd or 24th, I would have to challenge and question their brilliance.
11: We have been through thick and thin with this Revelation 12 sign thing together. It
0: w- Again, the verb was past tense, not future tense there in Revelation twelve one.
11: And um, just, it's like we are corporately together beat up by the mockers and scoffers constantly.
0: Right, yes. It's it's our fault. Right, yeah.
11: If only we had more faith, yeah. And, um, but we're doing a lot of work and we're honestly, all three of us, four of us, we're trying, and, and there's more guys too, which I, I don't want to leave out, but it's just, there's a lot of people, including you, who who know, you've learned from us how much lines up With 2017.
0: Right. Yeah, you you learned. But nothing happened, Scotty. Um, Will you be defending this on into December and maybe February of next year? Still talking about the great ramifications as a result of the fulfillment of the Revelation 12 sign that occurred somewhere roughly September 23rd, 24th. Again, nothing
1: happened. Nothing. Yeah, nobody saw it because they
0: couldn't see it. If it was a sign for us to see, then we would have need to have had that sign occur on, well, at at night. All right, we are up on our second break if you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talk at fighting for the or you could subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back we're gonna head down to potential church uh, sermon title it's not fair thought that would fit with today's Programs. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be
10: right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: High Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Let's do this right
2: Wow, wow.
5: wow.
0: The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Potential Church. Yeah, that's right. They're just a church in Potential. Troy Grambling presiding the name of the sermon is It's Not Fair. No, it's not fair. Not fair at all. And I don't know how this one ends. So I've listen to a pretty large swath of it the swath that i listened to i detected no scripture so we'll try to figure out how long it takes for him to get to scripture and then see if he actually exegetes it correctly proclaims repentance and the forgiveness of sins in jesus name and things of that nature so let me go ahead and back off on the music Without any further ado, here's Troy Grambling, and it's not fair. Here we go.
7: Let me me ask you a question. How many of you were alive in 1972? How many of you were alive in 1972? I was. I was. Raise it high. Uh, Pretty cool. How many of you were not alive in 1972? The vast majority of you, I was five in 1972 and uh, 1972 was an Olympic year and a lot of interesting, even bad things happened that year. But one of the things that took place in the Olympics in 1972 happened between the Americans and the Russians. Anybody know what that was? The Americans did something they had never done before. For 36 years, over 65 games, when it comes to the game of basketball, the Americans had never been beat. They won every game in the Olympics. They had won, I can't remember, seven or eight gold medals. But in 1972, in the gold medal game, they were playing the Russians. And some people believe that, well, they got cheated, that it wasn't fair. Whatever your opinion, the Americans... Is
0: there a particular reason why you haven't begun with a biblical text?
7: Feeded. The Russians won the gold, and the Americans were supposed to take home the silver. Now, I, I want to take about two minutes so that you can watch what happened and maybe come up with your own opinion of whether or not it was fair. Let's, let's watch this.
10: The greatest controversy, perhaps, in the history of all organized basketball. Never been a more controversial game than the gold medal contest in Munich in 1972. It's among the most controversial moments in Olympic history. The 51-50 Soviet victory on a last-second basket sent waves of disbelief and outrage across the United States. The loss stunned the United States team, which had never been beaten in 36 years of Olympic basketball. A streak of 63 games and seven gold medals. Because the Soviets were given three chances to inbound the ball in the final three seconds, the Americans have always felt they were robbed. The Soviets had led throughout the game. With time running down and the USA trailing by one, Doug Collins stole a pass and was fouled hard on his way to the basket. With all the pressure in the world on him at age 21, Collins calmly tied the game at 49. And then, just as confidently, he put the United States up by one. The clock showed three seconds left. Soviets.
0: Uh, <laughs> that is a nice history lesson if you're into the Olympics. I love the Olympics, and uh, wow, this is rather interesting. What does this have to do with anything taught in scripture?
10: There are John quickly inbounded the ball, while his coaches frantically signaled for timeout. According to international rules, the Soviets were not allowed to call timeout during Collins free throws. They were granted timeout with one second remaining. As the players returned to the court, the timekeeper was resetting the clock to three seconds. Inexplicably, the ref handed the ball to Ivan Yadeshko for the second throw-in before the clock was completely reset. Yadeshko inbounded for what the Americans thought was the final play of the game. But the clock had not been properly reset to three seconds. So General Secretary Jones and the officials cleared the court for a third throw-in. We have an expression to go crazy from happiness. When Alexander Belov made the last basket, he was running without understanding anything. The Americans immediately filed a protest which wasn't resolved till the following day when a five-man jury voted 3-2 to deny the appeal. All three negative votes coming from Eastern Bloc nations. Silver
5: medals, USA.
10: The American team unanimously refused to participate in the award ceremony or to accept their silver medals.
7: They didn't show up for 15 years after the uh, the game took place. The Olympic Committee every year would try to get these young men to take their silver medal. They wouldn't do it. 40 years after the game, they had a reunion. It was filmed by ESPN called uh, the Silver Reunion, 30 by 30, and they still would not receive their medals. They simply didn't show, didn't show up. And you know, I, I thought probably a lot of us can relate. Have you ever had a time in life where you just,
0: no, I've never played on an Olympic basketball team. I I just have it, you know, I'm not built that
7: way. Didn't think it was fair. You ever had something happen where what happened just doesn't, doesn't seem fair. And when life doesn't seem fair, what do we tend to do? Well, we tend to do the same thing. We give up. We don't show up. We don't show up in our marriage. We don't show up at work. We'll show them. We'll get Even, (laughs) We don't show up to our spouse or to our kids or to our God or to our church. We we give up. We don't show up. And we're in a...
0: We give up. We don't, don't show up. I have no idea what you're talking about.
7: We're talking about hope. Oh, we're, ta- we're talking about hope. Okay. About how do you find the way out of the panic room, anxiety, worry, fear. Another emotion that traps many of us is anger. And when anger, especially as a result of life not being fair, when we're just mad because it doesn't seem that we've gotten a fair shake, that type of anger tends to do three things. I put it in your outline if you want to pull that out uh, uh, that you got when you came in today. Here's the first thing anger does. It tends to overshadow gratitude. Right. If you were to go back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that gratitude is overshadowed when you have anger. That's not fair. Yeah.
7: As I did and listen to the stories of these young basketball players, even 15 years, 40 years later, if you were to read their quotes, you know, you discover they, they don't, they don't talk about the honor it was to be chosen to play, uh, on an Olympic team. They don't talk about the honor of representing their, their country. They, they, they don't talk about the unique opportunity they had because see in 1972, the NBA wasn't involved in basketball and the Olympics. It was just college players and these college players, I mean, they were zoomed into living rooms all across the United States. It was an incredible opportunity for just a few men who desired in the future to be in the NBA, but they don't talk about any of that. They just talk about how it wasn't fair. Because it wasn't fair, they just decided they were not going to show up because they were angry. And they were angry because, well, life's not fair. And I think we can all, if we're not careful, do the same thing. Our frustration with life not being fair causes us to be, our gratitude to be overshadowed. The second thing I put is anger causes us to blame others.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. So apparently the moral of the story from the 1972 United States basketball Olympic team is um it can overshadow, you know, gratitude and, and cause you to blame others and stuff. Yeah. We are 8 minutes into this sermon, no mention of the word of God yet.
7: Again, if you look at their quotes, they blamed, well, the referees of course. But if you go back and look at what the referees did, how they did it was incorrect. But what they did, well, you'd have a hard time arguing with it because it was probably the right thing to do. And yet they blame the referees. They blame the coaches. The coaches played a slow down game when what they should have done, according to the players, is play, you know, a faster paced game. They blamed other players who were unprepared for the game. They blamed the Olympic committee for the way they responded. And ultimately they blamed Russia that eventually Russia was going to win the game or get as many chances as they needed to win, to win the game. When life seems to be unfair, we tend to blame others. Don't we? You ever stub your toe and yell at the couch as if the couch actually all of a sudden did something. No, the couch had nothing to do with the fact you stubbed your toe. And yet who do you yell at? Well, you blame the couch. Right. You ever have a bad day at work? In other words, what happens at work or on the freeway just doesn't seem fair. The other person got the promotion, even though you're the one who comes in early and you get home and you yell at your family or you, you know, shut the door, on the dog's tail, or you take it out on somebody else, even though they had nothing to do with whatever you uh, seem to be unfair. That's what that anger tends to do. It causes us, to, it overshadows our gratitude, and then it causes us to blame other people. And then the last thing I put down is that that anger causes us to give up and not show up. And, I, and we all, you know, you see this a lot.
0: So what genre do we put this sermon into? Motivational speech? Reflective self-talk? I mean, what, what do we call this thing?
7: Life's not fair. Therefore, in a, uh, an attempt to get even, I'm just going to give up. Let me mention a few in ministry that I see. One is in the area of generosity. I see people all the time who step out in some time of uh,
0: personal experience here. At least that part is 10 minutes in no Bible yet.
7: Some type of generous activity, whether it be to help their neighbor or to be uh, obedient in their ties and their offering. But then God doesn't do what they thought he should. They don't get the check in the mail. They may still have some challenges in their, in their finances while the person who didn't give gets a promotion and has got a brand new car in their driveway. And you know what you call that? Not fair. You sacrificed. You gave in the offering. You gave to help the poor. You gave to grow the church, to reach the world. While the person who didn't, someone driving a new car, sending their kids to private school, living in a bigger home. And what is the temptation in that moment to do? I'm not going to show up next time there's an offering.
0: So you put money in the offering in order to get a bigger house? And you put money in the offering so that you can send your kids to private school? Yeah, that's
7: weird. I'm going to give up on that. I've been there, done that, tried that. It does not work. Therefore, when the, you know, when the anthem is played, you won't find me up on the stand. We do it sometimes in serving. Right? Maybe we are a part of mission Saturday or some way we reach out into our community and we love on people and we sacrifice and we help and we care for and yet it's the person who didn't show up who isn't sick. I'm the one who got sick. I'm the one who got the disease from the very person I was trying to help. Not the other. And that just not that's not fair. And because it's not fair, next time there's a call to serve, guess what? I'm not showing up. I'm not showing up. I'm just going to give up on that. People do it on their dreams. They do it with growth, right? You, you're reading the book that you had to sacrifice to purchase. You went to the conference about how to do your job more effectively. But again, you had to pay for it. And you, you're doing all of these things to grow. But the person who didn't read the book and didn't go to the conference got the promotion. Plus, they show up late for work and you're always early. What's the temptation? What does that kind of unfairness, that anger, I'm not showing up at the next conference. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to read the next book. I'll tell you what I've done that, been there and it just doesn't work. See, when you and I get trapped by this kind of anger, it overshadows our sense of gratitude and it causes us to give up. And as a result, we, we just don't show up. Well, what, is the, what does the scripture have to say about life not being fair? There's an incredible story. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. Now, I'll all right.
0: So 12 minutes, 46 seconds. First beginning rumblings of, <laughs> of a Bible passage that has something to do with this. We are more than a quarter of the way through this sermon. And this is the first appearance of the word of God. Okay.
7: Read it. And, and it's it's a little long. It's 16 verses. But you, you need to feel this story. And I just ask this question. Who do you relate to in this story? Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So he goes out to look for some daily workers when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, which is a daily salary. So he finds them and he tells them he'll pay them a denarius, which is a, a good, not a bad, but it's a, a generous daily, uh, daily pay daily wage. And then he sends them into the vineyard verse three and he went out the third hour. So think about it. They would work 12 hour days. So they'd start at six and they would end at six. So he hired the first group at 6 a.m. And he hires the second group at, on the third hour, which would be 9 a.m. And he went out about the third hour. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you or pay you. And so they went. Again, he went out the sixth hour, which is about noon. And the ninth hour, which is about three. And he did the same thing. And then in verse 6, and about the 11th hour. What is the 11th hour? One hour before quitting time. All right? This is about 5 o'clock. He went out and he found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us.
0: I'm going to be blunt. This text is too difficult for Troy Grambling. He's going to mess it up.
7: And he said to them, you guys go into the vineyard as well. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call all the laborers in and, it's, and pay them. So it's payday, right? This is when you get your check. This is your favorite part of the day. But he does something a little different. He begins with the last group. Those who were hired at five o'clock, one hour before quitting time. And when those uh, with the last group, To the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received what a full day's wage, a denarius, the same thing. He promised those that he hired at 6am. So what do you think when he gave those who had only worked an hour, what he told those that he hired at 6am, he was going to give them. What do you think those who were hired at 6am began to believe? They began to think about what are we going to get? If he gave those who worked an hour what he originally agreed to give us, what do you think those of us who worked all day are going to get? I think they started to dream about big screen televisions. I think they started to dream about trips to Las Vegas. I mean, they, they, they started to dream about what they were going to do with all of this, all of this money. When those hired first came in, they thought that they would receive more, but... Each one of them also received a denarius. Well, how do you think they would respond? Or let me put it a different way. How would you respond? Can you relate to their frustration? Look what happens. When they received it, they did what? What's it say? They grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat all day long. We've been out there all day long and you're going to give them the same thing you gave us. But he answered and he said to one of them, friend, am I doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Didn't we agree on the price at the beginning of the day? Verse 14, take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? The last shall be first and the first shall be last. You know, I I wonder. I wonder if those who were hired at 6 a.m., those who worked the whole 12-hour day, you think they showed up the next day? Or do you think they said, you know, if he's going to pay those who only work an hour, the same thing he pays those of us who work 12, I'm not showing up tomorrow.
0: Uh. (laughs) Uh, You're adding to Jesus' parable. This particular parable is told in order to tell something profound about the kingdom of God. And you're going to note that the gospel gives equally to everybody eternal life, whether... You believe in Jesus in your dying breath? Or you believe in Jesus from the time you were a little tyke, knee-high to a grasshopper? Doesn't matter. Eternal life is given equally to all. That's kind of the gist of it. It's the scandal of the gospel in that sense, that everybody is equally saved in the kingdom of God by what Christ has done because of his generosity. That's kind of the gist of the parable. And notice he just added to it. Yeah, so do you think those guys showed up next on, like, day two? That's not the point, Troy.
7: I wonder. Right? Well, What is it Jesus is trying to teach us? Because if you're like me, you can probably identify with... Who who do you identify with in the story, if you're honest? Right? Who do you identify with the most? You identify with the guys and got hired at 6 a.m. does it seem fair to you that they got the same, that those who worked an hour, wouldn't you grumble maybe a little bit as well? Somebody who just worked one hour and you worked 12 and you both got paid the same amount of resources. Now, what can we do about being trapped in this kind of frustration that causes us to think that life or to believe that life is not fair? Let's look at the story. I think we can learn some things. Here's the first thing. What caused their anger? What causes our anger? Why is it we look at the world and we say, this is not fair. In one word, it would be the word comparison. All right? It'd be the word comparison. This is what I put in your notes. We are grateful for God's plan until... And we're not going to look at the until yet. I want us to first realize that at the beginning, we're very grateful. Were they happy to get a Daenerys for their day's work? They were at the beginning, weren't they? They signed the contract. And not only did they sign the contract, they were excited because it was a generous amount. They went out and they went out with a sense of excitement. Why? Because they liked the plan. Well, God says he has a plan for us. We've looked at this scripture on numerous occasions. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you a hope. In other words, God puts a dream in your heart. And he says, I'm going to do something great with your life. And you, be, you have this. What? What?
0: Now, it just so happens that I actually preached a sermon on this exact text yesterday. Mm -hmm. Let's let Troy Grambling kind of spin this out. This will be a little bit of a longer program, but when we're done listening to Troy, we'll go ahead and I'll put in the sermon that I delivered yesterday so that you have like a contrast. It's not an official sermon cage fight. No. You see, I can't Actually, have a sermon cage fight with somebody who isn't actually a pastor and that you know, at a place that isn't really a church, they're just a church in potentia. But I think you might want to do some comparative work here because it just so happens I preached on this text yesterday. You know,
7: it's of destiny and this sense of purpose. And there's those certain things that you, when you think about them, your heart races and and you get excited to talk about them and, and you're moving in that direction and you're excited. You're passionate about the plan that God has for your life, just like those workers were.
0: Yeah, they they were passionate about being purpose-driven. Yeah, that's not what's going on in this text.
7: You you know, how do you think the workers that were hired at 6 a.m. felt when a group of workers got hired at 9 a.m.? I think they were happy. I think they're out there and they're working in the sun. And all of a sudden the landowner goes and he gets, you know, let's say 10 more workers. And they're like, we've already signed a contract and we're going to get a good wage. And now he's just hired 10 more people. So that means the job's just gotten easier. We're going to get paid the same amount, but we've got more people to help us. Then he goes out uh, again and he hires more. And you're like, oh my gosh, this just keeps getting easier. Isn't this awesome? I'm going to work here for the rest of my life. This landowner, you rock, right? I mean, they're pumped up. And even when life gets difficult. And you're going after this dream and you're going after this passion and, and there's a struggle or there's a challenge. We are reminded of Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for What? What? Good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So even when there's a challenge, what do you believe? God's put a dream in my heart. He's given me a purpose and a destiny, and I am passionate for that. And this challenge that I am presently facing is what God's going to use to propel me into my destiny. It is just an obstacle that I will overcome with his help. This challenge will
0: propel me into my density? What are you talking about?
7: He's made a promise to me. So even challenges... Don't discourage us. So if you go back and you look at what I told you in the beginning, what makes us angry? We are grateful for God's plan until we see God's plan for someone else. That's when we get frustrated, isn't it? You ever really like your house until you go to a Christmas party at somebody else's house.
0: You're talking about jealousy. And coveting, you are aware that coveting is one of the commandments of God from the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his cow or his, you know, yeah, you get the idea here. What are you talking about? Why aren't you convicting them of the sin of coveting?
7: All right? You can't believe you've got so much room in the backyard, you go out and buy a dog, you have another kid. I mean, it's incredible. And then you go to a Christmas party and on the way home, the conversation is do you see their backyard? Right? Like you were fine until and then what do you start that's not fair. We work at the same place. We got the same job. And on top of I've been there longer than they have. That's not fair. And what didn't bother you the day before now occupies your mind all the time. It's robbed you of your joy. You're trapped in your frustration. It's easy, or at least you're tempted to do what? Quit, give up. If that's the way that company is, I'm not showing up. Oh, I'll go, but I'm going to hide when I'm there. I'm going to quit sacrifice and I'm going to quit giving everything I've got because evidently it doesn't matter because did you see their backyard? And they just got hired. See, we're not the only one that asks that kind of question. In Matthew chapter 19, we discover the reason that Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 20. See, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking and he tells the story of a rich young ruler. And this rich, young ruler comes up to Jesus. You can read it, Matthew 19. And he says, hey, what do you got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you got to keep the law. And he says, I've done that since I was a kid. Now, Jesus understands his heart. He has a greedy heart. So Jesus looks at him and says, well, you have to give away everything that you own and follow me. And and here's what the scripture says. The rich, young ruler goes away sad. Why? Because he had a bunch of stuff and he wasn't about to give it away. Now, Peter's standing there and Peter overhears this conversation. He hears what Jesus tells this rich young ruler. How do you think Peter responds? Well, look with me in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Then Peter said to him, (laughs) We've given away everything, Lord. I've given away my donkey that I really used to like. I've given away my house and my sandal and my family. I mean, we've given away everything to follow you. What will we get? You told him, I heard you. You told him that if he would sell everything and follow you, that he would get eternal life, that he would get blessings. We've done that. What are we going to get? This is not the only time Peter asked this question In, in the gospel of John, after Jesus has died and resurrected and, and Jesus and some of the apostles are on a beach and they're having a conversation. And Jesus tells Peter that he's about to come up against some challenges. He's about to face some real struggles and, and, and Peter kind of out of the corner of his eye, guess who he sees another apostle. His name was John, but you know what they call him in the Bible? John,
9: the beloved,
7: you know what else the scripture says about him? The one whom Jesus loved, well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? And so Peter looks over, he sees John out of the corner of his eye. And look what he says. Peter asks Jesus, what about him, Lord? I'm about to go through some real difficulty. Well, what about him? Because it's not fair if I have to and he doesn't. You ever feel like that? You ever find yourself all of a sudden, you're dealing with an anger about how unfair life is, not because of what you have been given, but because of what you have been given in comparison to what somebody else has been given. Or what you haven't received that they received or what you have to deal with that they don't have to deal with. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus replied, verse 22, Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return, because Jesus was telling Peter about when he would die or how he would die says, what is that to you? As for you, you must do what? Follow me. What is Jesus saying? Look, Peter, you've got to trust me in this because your perspective is not the same as my perspective. And I understand that there are some things you don't understand. And in those moments when life seems completely unfair, here's the question. Would you trust me? Listen, Peter, it doesn't matter What happens in the life of John? Here's what I want you to do. You follow me. Because I work in everybody's life differently. Now, that's what causes our anger. But why do we get angry? Well, it's kind of what we've been talking about. In one word, it's jealousy. It's the fact that from our perspective, life is not fair. Remember verses 11 and 12? When they, those who went to work at 6 a.m., received the same as those who went to work at... Uh, 5 p.m., right before quitting time, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat all day long. See, our anger, this is what really convicted me as I studied this text. Our anger isn't at what we have. It's at what they shouldn't have.
0: Uh, No, the issue was they were angry at the generosity of the landowner.
1: That's jealousy.
7: See, think about it. Your frustration is, is, it's not that you're sick. It's that they ought to be sick too or in place of you. It's not that it's the house you live in. It's that they shouldn't have the house they live in because they don't work as long as you. They didn't go to the same school that you went to.
0: Notice the worldly focus here.
7: Right? Isn't it incredible how selfish. Why is life not fair? Because what they have, they shouldn't have. Or they ought to have this horrible thing that I have. I don't deserve it, but they—they should have it.
0: Wages of sin is death.
7: That's exactly what they were saying. They were excited about what the owner agreed to pay them. The problem wasn't what he said he would give them. The problem was is that he gave it to somebody else as well. That's what causes our anger. God's generosity can actually tempt us to not show up. It's not fair. Well, who are we angry with? I mean, if we're honest, who are you angry with? Why'd you you give up? Why'd you you stop showing up in your relationship with your spouse? Or your kids? Or at work? Or in ministry?
0: Is this group therapy? What is this? This isn't exegesis.
7: Remember? You used to show up. You used to give it everything you got. He used to really sacrifice who are you mad at. I mean, for honest, it's God, right? I mean, if God's all powerful, all knowing he's everywhere at one time, if God can do all of these things and for whatever reason he gave it to them and not me, then I'm, I'm mad at him and I'll show God, won't I? I'll just not show up. They were angry with the landowner. And in the story, the landowner, of course, is a representation of Christ. Now, that's true. What do we want? What's our anger want? When you look around and you realize it and you say, man, this is just not fair. It's just not right. I don't understand why they get this and I don't don't understand why this has happened to me. I mean, I've done all these things and yet I'm the one who has to struggle through this. I'm the one that has to deal with this. What is it that we really want? Fairness, isn't it? We just want God to be fair. I mean, after all, I've been good and they haven't. After all, I've sacrificed and they didn't. After all, I really love you and I'm not so sure they do. We just want God to be fair. But here's my question is, do you really? Are you sure you want fairness? That's what we're crying out for. God, this is not fair. Therefore, it ought to be fair. (laughs) But. Have you ever looked at the scripture found in Romans chapter 6, verse 23? It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, that's fairness. a Penalty, right? There's a cost. Now, what is sin? Well, sin is a picture word that means missing the bullseye. What is the bullseye? Perfection. So in reality, have we all missed the bullseye? Have we all been imperfect? Well, of course. So do you know what fairness would be? We all die. And it's not just talking about a physical death. It's talking about an eternal death. It's talking about a death of your relationships, a death of your joy, a death of your peace, a death of.
0: (laughs) Okay. I mean, kind. he's kind of right. I mean, you have to give him like a quarter of a point. The wages of sin is death, 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 death. And death, there's like, you make payments along the way, and then there's a big balloon payment at the end. But it's not exactly quite what he's saying. But okay, I'm kind of glad he's talking about sin, though. I mean, it's, it's a little rare.
7: Your hope, a death of your passion, a death of your purpose. That's fairness.
0: The death of your purpose. <sighs> he was doing so well.
7: Is that what you want? See, the reality is, no,
1: I don't want my purpose to
7: die. (laughs) I'm not sure. When we cry out for fairness, I'm not sure that that's what we're asking for. It says, but the free gift, what is a free gift? Unfairness. Because a free gift is something you do not deserve. It's something you have not earned. It's something that you, it's not owed to you. It's a gift. <laughs> it's unfair. Gifts are unfair. Gifts are given not because they're deserved or earned or paid for. They're a gift, a free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So is there a way out? I mean, can you find a, a way to, to, to get out of this anger? Or to uh,
0: Yeah, how do you find your way out of this anger? So he's talked about sin. He's talked about the death of Jesus, but he hasn't properly connected it to the text, the parable he's supposedly exegeting.
7: Get away from the desire, the temptation to give up. Well, in a word, yes. I wrote this in my notes. While life may not be fair, there are principles to life.
0: Right, principles. Yeah, that would be law talk.
7: That when implied, bring certain results. Now, let me show you what I mean. How did Jesus answer Peter? Remember, Peter is the one who heard, overheard the conversation between the rich young ruler. And he said, oh, well, we've given it all away. What do we get? Well, what, what did Jesus say? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, he says this. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or a father or a mother, children or property for my sake, will circle that word doesn't say might, maybe could if no will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Now think about that for a moment. What will we get? Now, we know Peter got some difficulties. Peter eventually was crucified upside down. I mean, so he's asking this question, what will we get? And what does Jesus say? He says, you're going to get a hundred times more. But in order to receive the hundred times, what has to happen? What does the scripture say? Does everyone who has what given up? In other words, in order for you to experience the blessing, you have to do what? You have to go through the difficulty. What is Jesus trying to say? He's trying to say that there are times in life when it is going to seem from your perspective that life is not fair. Uh,
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I this is just bizarre to me.
7: We continue. But that is just your perspective. Here is the principle or here is the promise. Anything that has been taken from you is going to be returned back to you a hundred times over. The question is, is, are you going to trust me when it feels unfair? When it seems like you're being taken advantage of when life is not going, your are you going to show up? He says, but many who are greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be greatest. Then again, what is he saying? Your perception is not the same as mine. Your perspective is not the same as mine. The wisdom writer says there's a way that seems right unto men that leads to destruction. In other words, God says, I I look at things differently just as you and I look at things differently from our three-year-old. They can't comprehend our perspective because of the difference in maturity. And Jesus is just being really clear in Scripture here. He's saying, look, here's the ultimate principle. I'm going to bless you. But my blessing, in order for you to experience everything that I have in store for you, there are going to be times when it seems from your perspective unfair in chapter 20 he says the same thing he says so the last shall be first and the first shall be last again this idea of trust Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 very familiar passage of scripture it says trust in the Lord um, with all your heart lean not to your own understanding or do not depend on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he'll direct your paths trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your understanding. Not easy to do, is it? You're a pretty smart dude. <laughs> People have told you you're a pretty smart dude. And from your perspective, life seems completely unfair. And the question is, and I think what Jesus is trying to teach us, is will we trust him in those moments? Will we show up? That's what it means to trust him. It just means showing up. Not giving up. I mean,
0: yeah, no, trusting him means to trust him. What are we trusting him for? Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, stuff like that. doesn't mean showing up. Showing up is not a synonym for trust.
7: Who are not here today. You know why they're not here? Because God hasn't done what they thought that he should do. They, sh- they stopped showing up. They gave up.
0: Cue sappy uh-huh. music. This is an emotional manipulation technique. Designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience. I'm not sure why God the Holy Spirit is descending on the audience at this time, but clearly he is. I don't even know what the point of this particular sermon was, except for it's not fair, something like that.
7: I think uh, the ultimate principle that I like is found in Galatians 6, 9. It says, so let us not get tired. That implies that there's an opportunity to get tired, which means there are times, right? If I, there are times when life doesn't seem fair, so let's not get tired. What would make us tired, right? If you, if you bring the application over, it's the idea life is not
0: long, boring sermons without a point
7: of doing what is good because at just the right time, if, we will reap a harvest if we don't what? If we don't give up. Or you could say it the other way. We will reap a harvest if we do what? Show up. I remember years ago. I uh, It's been 25 years. I still remember it. Um, I was playing basketball in college. And it was an important conference game. Kind of championship level game. And. The team we were playing at the time was quite tall for at least the time. They had a seven-foot center, had a, a small forward I think it was like six-nine, had a big forward that was six-eleven. They had an off guard six-six, and then their point guard was normal height. He was six-one. Well, I, I was a small forward for our team, and I was I'm just six-four. And so our coach came up with a plan, and the plan was that these guys are tall, and we're going to tire them out. So we're going to keep pressure on them. We're going to press them from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Everywhere they move, we're going to have two people on them. And so we practice for months, different types of presses, different types of traps, uh, different types of ways of keeping pressure on them. That was our plan. I remember the day of the game coach challenged us, asked us, do you remember the plan? Remember what we're doing And all get, you know, the whole first half, he'd be like, keep the pressure on, keep the pressure on, stay with the game plan. And I remember when the halftime buzzer went off, we went to the dressing room and um, there was some tension in the room because we were losing by double figures. And the tension in the room was simply this as players, as we looked at one another is, are we going to show up in the second half? And here's what I mean by that. Are we going to stay with the game plan? See, because it seemed like the game plan wasn't working. Because the goal of the game is to be ahead, not behind. And we were behind, not ahead. Do we stay with it? (laughs) Well, I think the reason I remember is because we did. We went out and we continued to do what the coach had challenged us to do. And it was interesting because... At the end of the game, we weren't behind by double digits. We actually ended up winning the game by double digits. And I am convinced that the reason we won the game is because we we trusted the coach.
0: Right, yeah. See, it's just like that with Christianity, you know. Because, you know, the parable of the tenant and the, the denarius and the workers in the field stuff. It, it, yeah, Jesus is like... Basketball coach, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what he's saying. All I'm hearing at this point are words, 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 words. But I don't know what any of this means because he's not exegeting this text. I have, I mean, literally, I don't think I've, I better understand scripture. I fear that I may understand scripture less after hearing this, this thing that is supposed to be a sermon.
7: Showed up. I want to challenge you today to make that same kind of commitment because all of us in life will have those moments when life seems unfair. And can I ask you, will there ever be a time when your spouse looks over and and you won't show up? You won't be on the podium. You you gave up somewhere along the way. Will there ever be a time when your kids look up and uh, where's mom? Where's dad? You just don't show up. Oh, you're still in the house, but got mad somewhere along the way. Life doesn't seem fair. What about at work? What about your dream? What about ministry, reaching the world? Just don't show up. Don't use your gifts. Don't use your talents. Don't use your resources. Why? Because God's not fair. He hasn't blessed you the way he blessed somebody else. You're struggling when someone else hasn't. You have a disease that some don't have. You haven't had kids yet and others have. It, whatever the reason. I'm not saying that it's not real. am just asking you. Will you show up? Will you and I do what those... Yeah.
0: Will you show up?
7: Big basketball players.
0: Right, because, you know, basketball players showed up. So you, you should, too.
7: We're unwilling to do.
0: You don't want to be unwilling. you you got to be willing like a basketball player.
7: Show up. Yeah. Would you bow your head?
0: No. <laughs> I, you know, okay, so I have no idea what that was about. I mean, that was just, like, verbal nonsense. I, Yeah. <laughs> I, what was the main point again? Oh, yeah, life's not fair. I, yeah, I didn't get anything from it. Let me see if I can reset some things here. Let's let's try this. I promised you that I'll to kind of clean this up. Let's do a little comparative work, but let's do this right. Here we go. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, 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 bum. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. Pastor Chris Roseborough presiding. The name of the sermon is The Gospel Makes Us All Equal. The text that forms the basis of this particular sermon is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. I don't think I need to say any more. I think you get the point. Let's get to it. See if you notice the difference between the two. Here we go. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Matthew, chapter 20 verses 1 through 16. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, well, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, Well, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend... I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so that the last, so the last will be first and the first last? This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. What an interesting parable. What's the problem here? Why are these guys grumbling against this generous, well, housemaster? Hmm. Let's kind of spell the problem out very clearly, very quickly. Over and again, we recognize that scripture, rightly divided, must be divided properly along the lines of law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. So what's the sin here that's being addressed by Jesus in this parable? Well, the sin that is being addressed is none other than self-righteousness. Have you ever stopped to think for a second that self-righteousness is Sin. Now, to kind of help bear this out, think with me for a second. If you have ever had a conversation with an atheist or an unbeliever, somebody who isn't a Christian, and you've told them the good news that Jesus has bled and died for their sins, and you say that he is willing for them to repent and to be forgiven, and rather than responding and saying, this is really good news, you're right, I can now be reconciled to God, they instead say, "Whoa, whoa, 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 wait a second here are you saying that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world? And you go, yeah. well, yeah, he did. Are you saying that anybody can be forgiven? Well, yeah, including you. And they'll sit there and go, well, let me do the math on this. You're saying that if Hitler, Hitler repented of his sins and believed in Jesus on his deathbed, that he's in heaven right now. Well, yes, God's mercy is that great. And then they lose it. Have you ever had this conversation? I've had a few of them along these lines. And the reason why they lose it, it goes something like this, is that how is that fair? You're telling me I need to repent of my sins and be forgiven. Yet I have been a good person my entire life. I have paid my taxes. When my kids were young, I helped out with the boy scouts. I even give money to the rotary. And one time I put a whole $20 bill in that kettle that the, the for the salvation army before Christmas and you're going, um, there's a problem here. What's the problem? The problem is self righteousness. Are there any who are good? Not according to scripture All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including your pastor, including you. All have fallen short. But see, self-righteousness basically wants everything to be fair. And they want to be judged according to their righteousness. I want you to think with me for a second. Okay, I don't want you to think I am promoting this, but I want you to kind of get the idea. Everything runs in this country by law. Everything in your work experience, if you work out in the corporate world, works by law. Have you ever been a part of a company where it comes annual employee evaluation time? What's the expectation? Those who've worked hard, they get a better raise than those who've been slacking. And if you've ever managed employees... There is nothing worse than dealing with the employee who comes storming into your office, closes the door with a slam and says, why did I only get a 50 cent raise and he got a 75 cent raise? I bust my behind and that guy takes 10 minute long, five minute coffee breaks. Don't you see? I've been doing a harder job than he has. Ah, This is not fair. Have ever had that conversation? Maybe you've been the one who slammed the door. I will neither confirm nor deny any such things regarding myself. You see, this is the reason why we hate the concept of scoreless Little League. Think about it. Scoreless Little League. What a complete waste of time. Because what are the parents doing in scoreless Little League? One, two. Oh, we beat them. Because we want everything to work according to the law. We want what's fair. So that's at the heart of this parable today, this self-righteousness, this desire to be recognized by the law, and the gospel doesn't work that way at all, and we need to be very happy about this, but let's walk back through our parable today, and I'm going to work from my translation. Now, the reason I'm going to do this today is because I, on purpose, want what I say to not quite line up with what's in your scripture because it's going to force you to pay attention to a few things and there's a particular thing at the end of this parable that I think is better the way if you just translate it straight from the Greek it's an interesting paraf- it's an interesting statement here's what Jesus says the kingdom of the heavens yes it's plural is like a man who is a housemaster and this is actually kind of a beautiful phrase in the Greek who went out together with the early morning What a great phrase. This man went out together with the early morning. This is at the crack of dawn to hire workers into his vineyard. Now, I don't know if they have this practice here, but back in the in the ancient world and still in the modern world, day laborers would go to a particular place in the marketplace or the agora in order to hire themselves out for the day. When we lived in Southern California, we knew some of these places where they existed. And what would happen is, is that somebody would come who owned a construction company or was a farmer and they would hire day laborers. And these were all the illegal aliens. These were the illegal immigrants, those who had no document to Papers. And so what would end up happening is that some fellow would drive up to a, to a place. And you could see this from time to time. He'd drive up to a place where there was a group of fellows and the car would stop or the truck would stop and say, I pick you, 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 you. Quick, get in the car. We got to go because this is illegal. And they would, off they go. And these guys would work for a day and they were hired for one day at a time. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't have to work with the illegal aliens. This is just a common practice. Blue-collar day laborers worked in this way. And the fee for doing a day's wage was a denarius. One day's wage, a denarius. It's really simple. So that's kind of how this works out. Now, it's important to note that in this parable, the denarius is going to symbolize salvation. And so you can't say that they're earning this because you have to kind of look for the idea that here's this housemaster going and looking for these people and it is by grace that they are coming into his vineyard and he's willing to give them these things. Does that make sense? There we are. He's early morning hiring the workers. By the way, have you ever heard of laziness? Does any of you, Do any of you ever suffer from this? Or you know somebody who works along these lines. Are those who are lazy, are they there at the crack of dawn saying, please, please pick me so I can work today? No. What are they doing? leaping. So keep this in mind, as the day progresses, the quality of the day laborer is dramatically diving. And so you can kind of think of it this way, as he hires these people, you've got the ambitious folks at the beginning, the guys who are working off a hangover, you know, about nine in the morning, and then the people who slept in past lunch, who clearly have Way too much time on their hands. They're not really ambitious. And so the rabble level continues to rise with each passing cycle through. Keep that in mind. He went out together with the early morning to hire workers into his vineyard. Having made an agreement with the workers for a denarius for the day, which is the standard rate, he sent them out into his vineyard. And having gone out around the third hour, isn't this interesting? Watch the hours. In the early part of this parable, they kind of punctuate the same hours of Jesus' labor on the cross. Six in the morning, his kangaroo trial. Nine in the morning, him being nailed to the cross. Noon, three in the afternoon. It's fascinating how that, that lines up. So, made an agreement with him. So having gone out around the third hour, so this is nine in the morning, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also, you go into the vineyard and I will give you whatever may be right. And the ones, and the ones went. And again, having gone out around the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did similarly. And then having gone out around the eleventh hour, this is five at night. Is this any time to start a day shift when everything is dependent on the sun? Not at all. At the 11th hour, he found others standing there, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle the whole day? Because we're worthless. We're not, we're not very ambitious. Our wives made us stand out here, but we're trying to not make eye contact with anybody. So they said, well, because no one hired us. So he says to them, you also go into the vineyard. So having become evening, the master of the vineyard says to the manager, call the workers, pay them the wages, beginning from the last ones up to the first ones. And having come to the ones hired around the 11th hour, they received a denarius apiece. One hour's work equals a full day's wage. Huh. Imagine you're, you're with the group of guys who started at 6 in the morning. You're seeing that going, whoa, wait a second here. They got a whole denarius for one hour. The guy's paying a whole day's wage an hour. So they're thinking, that's 12 days' wages for one day's work. This is what they're thinking. How do we know the text goes on? So having come, the first ones thought that they would receive more, and they also received a denarius apiece. And then having received it, they were grumbling against the housemaster, saying, "Those last ones did one hour, and you made them, and here's the rub." You made them equal to us. Oh boy, there's the problem. You see, the law doesn't make us equal. The law actually makes us all kind of different. But the gospel makes us all equal. You made them equal to us, they said. The ones having borne the burden of the day and the burning heat. Keep that picture in your mind. We'll come back to it. But the one having responded said to one of them, friend, and the Greek here is actually kind of funny. It's not friend like, hey, friend. It's more like, hey, buddy. It's a little more terse than that. It's, yeah, we're not really friends, but I'll call you friend. Hey, buddy, I'm not wronging you. Did you not make an agreement with me for a denarius? Take what is yours. But I want to give this last one as I also gave to you. Or is it not lawful for me to do what I want with my own things? And then here's the best phrase. And I'm going to just translate it straight. Or is your eye evil because I am good? Wow. That is quite the charge. So they're charging him with evil for being generous, while they themselves are actually the ones who have the problems. Thus, the last ones will be first. And the first ones last. And again, what's the problem here? Self-righteousness. Total self-righteousness. And this idea that it is scandalous that God pardons and forgives not sinners in the abstract, but actual, for real sinners. Remember the story of Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah. Jonah and the big fish, or Jonah and the whale. It wasn't a whale, it was a fish. But it was a big one. And Jonah, God comes to Jonah. He's a prophet and tells him to go to Nineveh, part of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians made the Nazis look like schoolgirls. These are the fellows who had the very first prototype of crucifixion. When they would conquer a town or a city, they would take the fighting men who fought against them that had been defeated and they surrendered. And they would take them and stick them up on a pike. And kill them in that way and leave their dead carcasses for everybody to see. They were the perfecters of psychological warfare against those whom they defeated. And it was the Israelites who suffered defeat at the hands of these exact same cruel people. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah to go and preach against the sins of Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? We all know how the story goes. Nineveh's this way. Jonah says, I'm going that way. He gets on a boat, heads to Tarshish. We're not exactly sure where that is. We think Spain. It's a long way away. And there are no beaches in Nineveh. And God decides to engage in some, how shall we put it, subtle motivation to kind of work out this little rebellious streak in Jonah. Causes a storm to come up. He ends up being sacrificed and sent to the deep and a fish swallows him and he spends three days in the belly of a fish and he probably had claustrophobia the rest of his life and never ate sushi again. (laughs) I always loved when I was in Sunday school, they would talk about how the stomach acids of the fish probably bleached his skin and his hair. And then when he was finally belched out onto the beach, he probably looked like an albino with seaweed wrapped around his head. It's always a wonderful picture. But usually when tell, somebody tells the story, that's where it ends. See? And so the moral of the story is when God tells you to do something, get right to it. No! <laughs> now, I'm not saying you should disobey God. That's not the idea here. The question is, why did Jonah go the other way? And this is the part of the story that nobody gets to. So Jonah chapter 3 says these words, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Hopefully God gave him a little bit of time for his hair to grow out and it no longer looked like a bleached-headed you know, surfer dude. He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah thinking, Well, I better do it this time. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of Yahweh. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And listen to these words. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Huh. Revival broke out in Nineveh. And you would think Jonah would be going, praise the Lord! There's revival here at Nineveh. All these evil war criminals are repenting and being forgiven. It's the best thing ever. They're confessing the Lord as their, as their Savior. No. This does not make Jonah happy. He does not praise God because these people believe God and repented. Listen to how the story unfolds. So the Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. ashes. And then he issued a proclamation and published it throughout all of Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. We're fasting. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them and he did not do it. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly. He's angry. Because by forgiving them, what has God done? He's made them equal with Israel. He's pardoned their sins, given them eternal life. Are you kidding me? I'm going to have to share eternity new heavens and new earth with those guys didn't you see what they did to my brother that's the idea so he was displeased exceedingly he was very angry and so he prayed to the lord and he said yahweh is this not what I said when it was yet, when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and you are merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Notice, in Jonah's way of thinking, God's mercy and grace is not a strong point when it comes to God. It's an utter disgrace. Therefore, Lord, please Kill me now. It is better for me to die than to live. Well, ho! yeah, that grace stuff can get really scandalous. You know, we don't mind if our work every day, nine to five neighbor comes to Jesus. But what about the town hooker? What about the local drunk? What about the person who is... Known for being sexually promiscuous, with not just females but also males. What about him? Do we do we really want to share heaven with that guy? Do we really want to be equal with him? What about that politician you hate? I don't know. Name one. There are lots to choose from in that group. (laughs) Do you really want to share heaven with? Do you want him forgiven? You want to be equal with him? You see kind of how this all works then. This is why Jonah is upset. And his solution is kill me now. Kill me now. So the Lord said to him, well, do you do well to be angry? You can just see Jonah fuming. So Jonah, not to be dissuaded by God's mercy, went out of the city, sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself, like a temporary shelter. He sat under it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. He's praying, hoping, Please, Nineveh, let this repentance of yours be just like a sham. Go back to your evil ways so that God will destroy you. I'm going to watch the fireworks. Does anyone have any popcorn? That's what's going on. And God, in his mercy, appoints a plant, made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. So then God and then he asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. So God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and then perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You know, Jesus, speaking against those who in his day refused to repent of their wickedness, refused to repent and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, he said to them that Nineveh would rise up and condemn them on the last day, affirming that these Ninevites truly had received God's mercy and a full pardon. And it's scandalous. You think of the scandal of the Nazi war criminals. A while back, I told the story of Pastor Gerke, who was an LCMS pastor right after World War II, who was asked to stay on after the war in Germany and to be the pastor and chaplain for the Nazi war criminals who were on trial in Nuremberg. And at first, none of these guys really wanted to have anything to do with this fellow. But through the preaching of the word and the proclamation of Christ, Six of these Nazi war criminals, all of them who hung on the gallows for their crimes, repented of their sins and were forgiven. One of them, as he was ascending the gallows, Pastor Gerke was there to watch him leave this earth. One of them said to Pastor Gerke, I will see you later. And he rightly died for his crimes against humanity. The government is not given the power to forgive sins, only to punish them but we are given the authority to forgive. And a Nazi war criminal who has the blood of millions on his hands can be forgiven by Christ. And he chooses in the 11th hour to give them full salvation. The same salvation he's given to you, you who've been baptized when you were infants at this font and have lived your lives, believers in Christ, he gives you the same salvation that he gives to them. And it's scandalous. But see, that's how it works. Now, if you remember, bore the heat of the day, the parable says. And I noted the fact that the hours mentioned in the parable line up with the events of Jesus' crucifixion. And I would like you to think of it this way. Jesus, on a Friday afternoon began his work early in the morning. Crack of dawn, he was put on trial and he was found guilty of crimes that he did not commit, but crimes that you had committed, that I had committed. At nine in the morning, he was marched out to Golgotha and nailed to a cross and spent the rest of the day laboring and suffering under the heat of God's wrath for your sins and for mine. The text tells us this from Luke. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. The criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And then they cast lots, divided his garments And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, God's chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. But see, he wasn't saving himself, he was saving you. There was also an inscription over him, and it read, This is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now consider the occasion. These two criminals are rightly being punished for their crimes. And their crimes had risen to the level that they had earned for themselves the death penalty. One, even in his death pangs, the suffering he is going through for his own sins, mocks Christ. The other rightly confesses that he is getting what he deserves, but Jesus is not. That is what we call a confession of sins. Now note, he is not very far from dying not very far at all, hours at this point, he's already beginning to experience death. He is on his deathbed, and his deathbed is raised straight up. And here's what he says to Jesus, a wonderful prayer. Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. He confessed his sins and didn't even have the audacity to ask Jesus to forgive him. He just said, please remember me. To be remembered by God is to be saved. For God to remember you is a good thing. For God to remember your sins is a terrible thing. Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then these scandalous words. This man, who is not even capable of working an entire hour in God's vineyard is literally at the verge of his own death. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And we sit there and go, what? If he were a smoker, he didn't even have time to put his cigarettes in the trash. If he were a drunk, he hadn't even sobered up. He's a criminal who's being punished for his crimes, and rightly so. And in the midst of all of that, just hours before he dies, Jesus gives him a full and complete pardon? You see it? You see, and the reason for it is quite simple. It's because there Jesus was putting in his long day's work so that he can earn a denarius. And the text goes on. It was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. I would beg to differ, because Isaiah is so clear on this, that... On Jesus, God had laid the iniquity of us all. And on the cross, Christ bleeds and dies for all of your sins. He's punished in your place. He, put, he endures the heat of God's wrath in the middle of the day. And he earns that denarius. And now the scandal is this. He comes and he slips it in your pocket. And he says, I don't need this. You do. Take it
1: and it's scandalous and it's
0: so amazing you see our old testament text today said these words my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your ways how many times have we heard those words a bazillion times usually we say them in the context of things that don't make any sense well God's thoughts are not our thoughts I don't get it I don't understand it But notice the context in which these words are spoken. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh so that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We never think of forgiving.
1: It's scandalous.
0: You can just let that person slide, get off scot free. Yeah. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with my own property? self-righteous hate it. They want to be judged by what they do.
1: They think it's not fair. And I agree. According to the law, it is not fair. Instead, it is merciful. I don't want what's fair from God.
0: Because I need mercy. And so do you. And this is why it's good news that anyone repents, whether they are a child or an old man on his deathbed. The angels rejoice equally because the king of the universe pays everyone the same equally as a gift because he's the one who earned the denarius that one Friday on Golgotha. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, did you uh, detect the difference between? Yeah, I think it's readily apparent. One was clear, the other was, yeah, I don't know what that was. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.